0: The Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine. But you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation." These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses came, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people all answered as one, Everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning, Lord, for um, sacred space and... For the opportunity, um, Lord, to be invited to turn our ears and our minds and our hearts and affections, Lord, towards you, towards holiness, towards goodness. And we would ask you, Lord, like a good father, that you gather us together, that Jesus, you would look out at us and see us, Lord, as in need of your grace and compassion in need of your shepherding. And that's what I would ask you for, Lord, just that you would lead us to what's true and what we need to hear and what we need to do in our own lives with these words, Lord, that you've put before us. Help us to hear you, Father. It's in your name, Lord, that we pray and do all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Those long passages get me every time just because... um, You know, one of the things that I love about being Anglican is the opportunity to both affirm the importance of you know things like sacrament and doing it every week, and um, the beauty of tradition, and also you know my little Baptist heart. Every time we have to read a really like long passage of the Bible, also feels very proud to say that um, I feel thankful to be uh, in a Bible reading and believing church, and that we would hold sacred like the Word of God. And actually, that's what we're going to talk about uh, today: is what it means to be people who really do love. Um, and need and want to hear uh, the Word of God, like living and active and spoken among us, as people who would like hold forth the need for that, the importance of it, um, as we look together at Exodus. So those of you who've been here the last few weeks have uh, heard me say already that this is ordinary time according to the church calendar. It's our longest season. It's the green one, the great green growing season is what it's called in the church calendar from the end of Easter all the way to the beginning of Advent. And we're going to be spending these next few weeks anyway, through most of June and July, looking at the prophets through the Old Testament. So sitting with some of the prophets like we did last week, like Hosea, um, and today looking at Moses, and then we'll have opportunities to be with the, with the others through the weeks to come. And so before we look at Exodus specifically, I want to just do a little bit of a refresh, a reminder of like why the prophets for these next few weeks, why the prophets during ordinary time, so that we can wrap our minds and kind of reorient before we look at this specific moment in Exodus, I think it's an important, an important question uh, to be asking. Uh, I said last week, you know, summer is arguably when things are supposed to be very chill, and um, you usually don't think, when you think of like the Old Testament prophets, chill is not the word that comes to mind, and that's true. Um, and yet, it's for um, other reasons, of course, that like our minds and hearts would go there, in part, no, no small part due to the fact that one of the things that we hope for in the great Green go- growing season, right, in ordinary time, is um, the liturgical calendar is meant to be a reminder to me that, you know, you have this season in your life in which your life is meant to grow and bear fruit. Like, my hope as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian person, is that not just that, like, I would have this moment where I would say, okay, I'm raise my hand, I want to be a Christian, or I want to follow Jesus. That's an important moment but that my life with God will inevitably be one of like continued growth, right? That I am meant to become more and more like him, that there's more of him to know, more of um, him to learn from, and more of my life to be shaped by who he is. And so I want to grow. I also think that that sort of assumes that the life that I live in this world around me needs me to grow and bear fruit as a Christian person. The reason that the church talks so much about, like, garden analogies and plant analogies is because God wants you and me to hear, us collectively. We talked about this some in Genesis, which is how we kicked off this series in the Prophets. So start by saying people, humans, as image bearers of God, are meant to be people who move into all of creation bearing his likeness and doing the kind of stuff that he does. In other words, bearing fruit that looks like, smells like, tastes like, feels like our Father. That that's what it means to be an image bearer. So my life as a Christian person in these ordinary times is supposed to bear fruit that looks like, smells like, feels like my Father, like God in the world. And that actually the world desperately needs that. That my vocation as a human person, as an Adam, an earthly thing in the Hebrew, One that was scooped out of the dirt, shaped by the hands of God, breathed his life, his spirit into me so that I could become his presence in the world. My vocation as a human person is therefore to bless people, to be blessed by God, his life in me, so that my life can be a blessing. So the question for the church is what does it mean for our life to be a blessing to the world around us in times like these? And depending on where you're coming from, you're going to answer that question differently. Is our job to be the moral majority? Is our job to be the gatekeepers of justice? Who answers the question for you? What does it mean for your life to bear fruit in the ways of Jesus in times like these? If you're going to grow Christian, what will it mean for you to grow and how will you grow? The reason that I think the words of the prophet are so important is because I actually believe that times like these need desperately a prophetic imagination. People, the people of God, to be a presence in the world that can take both the moment that we're in so, questions like, what do we do about AI? and the robot apocalypse. Will we ever think a real thought ever again? Maybe not if I don't have to. The robot's could to think it for me. What will we do with the robots? What will we do with gender identity and sexuality? What will we do with political polarization? What will we do with adolescent depression? What will we do with climate change? in a creation that groans, what will we do? What's beautiful about the prophets, and we said this last week, most of the time when we think about a prophet, we imagine them as a kind of fortune teller, somebody whose job it is primarily to look into the future and make predictions. But actually, the prophet in the Bible plays a, a different role. It's not entirely not that, but it's something importantly other than that as well which namely was this, when we enter into unprecedented times, a new situation, be it crisis or just somewhere we've never been before, the role of the prophet was to actually, we said this last week, help the people of God remember certain things so that they could be reconciled to God, to their vocation as a human, so that they could enter into the future bearing the fruit of God, being the people they were meant to be. That was the role of the prophet. Remember so that you can be reconciled to God and to who you are, to what's true about you and about the world around you. So the role of the prophet was as much to look backwards (laughs) into the past as it was to be a person who could understand the contemporary moment that we were in. And you know what's really good? is when you put both those things together, to be a child of the tradition and a child of your contemporary moment. It's when you choose one or the other that you get into the, in trouble. And we live in a world of intense polarization where the church is unhelpfully saying, no, what we should be doing in the world is only remembering and gatekeeping on this side of the line. Or, over here, no, the role of the church is to be ever-progressive and pushing forward. One of the reasons I'm Anglican is because I just can't help myself. I'm always trying to find the middle. I suspect it's not either-or, but maybe both-and. What if we held on to our faith, our tradition? What if we could remember the words of God is immutable and unchanging who he is if I could hold on to that and I could pull those words into my present and contemporary moment what if real true progressivism real true progress was there what if what was prophetic was being able to know where you're from to read where you are for the sake of the future y'all we need prophets in the church And I suspect for you in your life, that's true of a macro moment, right, where we are culturally, like writ large, AI, politics, all that. It's true for us at Christ the King as a local church because there are so many of us who are new to this. I mean, we're new. Just as a body, we're new. I got here a year ago, you know. Some of y'all have been around a long time, but for us to do it this way, this expression, this new so a lot of you are like, what does it mean to be Anglican? What does it mean to have a sacramental imagination, a sacramental posture? To take, why do we take communion every week? What is that about? Why does it matter? Why does an affirmation of material things and this world really matter in a landscape that has been largely informed by a kind of anti-sacramental posture or attitude? Focused on an afterlife. How do we be here now? Macro for us, Christ the King. And then you personally. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I suspect, particularly if it feels like a new place that you're in, an unprecedented situation for you, or if you're just trying to navigate something that feels extremely hard, I don't have to be a prophet in your particular situation to know that what you really, really need is to hear from the Lord. You need him to give you an imagination for how you navigate what's in front of you. You need a prophetic imagination. You need an old word to say a new thing where you are. That's what you need. It's what we all need from the Lord right now. Because in one way or another, we've never been this way before. That's language that I'm stealing from Joshua 3. Joshua 3 is the book that Joshua is the book that comes after Exodus. So what's interesting about um, that story coming to mind is that Joshua 3 is the moment when the people of Israel are leaving Sinai after they've already been there. And God commands them to leave and go into the promised land. Before they can get into the promised land, they have to cross the Jordan River. So God's taking them from Sinai and leading them into the promised land. And he says to Joshua, he gives him him an interesting command. Uh, Be strong and courageous. That's the one that we all know. You've never been this way before, Joshua. So I want you to get behind the Ark of the Covenant. Before you cross the Jordan River, I want you to have the priests of God carry the Ark of the Covenant, go stand in the River Jordan, so that the people of God can pass through. In other words, because you've never been this way before Joshua, let the word of God go before you, and then you all follow behind. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, do we remember what this is? It's important. Not the boat. That would be impressive. Um, different Ark. The Ark of the Covenant was the box that they had to make, if you'll remember, um, to put the Ten Commandments in. So Moses came down the mountain uh, with the Ten Commandments. I don't, I don't know how I carried them. It's all, always been a, just to imagine it. I'm not sure. He's very strong. And so he carries these giant rocks with the Ten Commandments written on them. And then, you know, we're a nomadic people. So um, some of you this would not have been my first thought, <laughs> but some of you are planners. And your first thought would have been, how are we going to lug those giant rocks around in the wilderness with us everywhere we go. Um, And thankfully for you, the word of God had an answer. Spirit was ahead of those people. And God said, you're going to make a box, sacred box. And I want you to put big poles on either side of it. You put the Ten Commandments in it, and then you're going to make a gold lid. Do you remember what the lid had on it, anybody? Two cherubim on either side, and they faced one another, their wings Stretched out like this. Incredible, beautiful. And God said, I'm going to, that's the mercy seat, the gold seat between these two angels. And the presence of God would dwell there. And that's how he would meet with Israel. He would meet with them over the word of God on the mercy seat. That's where he would speak to Israel and lead them through the wilderness. So to carry it. So God says to Joshua, when they get ready to cross the Jordan River, you've never been this way before, so get behind the Ark of the Covenant. Let the Word of God lead you into what's in front of you so that you know how to get there. And I'm going to tell you, I think, for myself and for the church, that is really important for us to hear in times like these. Y'all, we've never been this way before. There's nothing new under the sun so for those of you who lived through the 60s and all of the revolutions that came with that, you've been in times like these. You know what Cold War feels like. And you were through the sexual revolution of the 60s and civil rights. And so, you know, times have been crazy before. That's not even what I mean. But the rapid pace of change, y'all, the kinds of questions that we're facing, those are new. And if the church wants to get where we're meant to go, if you want to get where you're meant to go as a parent, as just a human person trying to follow Jesus, we're going to need the word of God to lead us there. I think it's important to hold on to. Can we acknowledge, all right, I've got somewhere that God is meant to take me. I've got growth that's meant to happen in my life. And the only way that that happens is if the word of God leads me into it. I think that's true. Prophecy is the ability to remember what has been said, old words heard in a new situation, so that the Holy Spirit can do a new thing. Tomorrow's Juneteenth. Tomorrow is a day for thanking God for the prophets among us. Amen? Thank God for Frederick Douglass. Thank God for Harriet Tubman. Thank God for Dr. King. That somebody in a contemporary moment in which hope was very hard to see could still hear the old words of God in the midst of impossible circumstances and therefore carve out a way forward for the rest of us. That is prophetic imagination if you have ever seen it or heard it. All people have been created in the image of God. That's not new. But once you say something like, all people have been created in the image of God in the Jim Crow South, that's new. See what I'm saying? If these words are living and active, and of course we believe that they are, the question for you in your situation is what word from the Lord do you need to hear? What might he say to you and do for you and through you in your present situation to carve out a new way forward? We always want something new and novel. I want God to say a new thing to me something that's never been said before, just for me, for my situation, and I get it. But prophecy is different than that. We have to look backwards first, so we look forward. That's Exodus 19. That's how we get to Moses. Here's what's interesting to me about Exodus 19. Here's what happens. So Joshua 3, that's when we're leaving Sinai. Exodus 19, the story that we just read, is a moment from when we just get to Sinai. So we've left slavery in Egypt. We've gone through the wilderness just a little bit. It's a brief time in the wilderness. We're going to be there again later. It's a brief trip. And then we get to Sinai. And when we get to Sinai, God says to Moses, Moses, I have a new thing to say to these people. I have something I want to say to them. And in order for them to hear it, they need to prepare And God had a very specific way of calling the people of Israel to prepare in order to hear his words. So here's the first question that I would like to ask to you because I think the Lord has put it to me. Is, am I a person, as a follower of Jesus, who could say with any integrity that my life is marked by a desire to hear from God? Do I have an expectation that God would and could and wants to speak through my life, through our collective life, that he has things to say. And we would say, "Yes, yeah, yes, of course yes, we believe it. Yeah. The Bible and all that. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Right. I listen to podcasts. <laughs> I read books. I am a person whose life is marked by the desire to hear and learn. Hmm. We have a reason to be skeptical of ourselves, because we live in a culture that finds it very, very hard to actually want to learn and listen from those with whom we don't already agree. We aren't already saying everything that we want to hear. And That's not an accusation against you personally, that's just true of us collectively. We are prone to fundamentalism, whether you're moving towards it on the right side of that spectrum or on the left side of that spectrum. So fascinating, this past week, I've been listening to a podcast called The Witch Childs of J.K. Rowling. If you haven't listened to it, it's incredible. Um, And in that podcast, I heard J.K. Rowling, who is, of course, not exactly um, a nun or a fundamentalist, And what she says in this podcast is, speaking of those who have accused her of bigotry, I'm deeply worried about authoritarianism in all of its forms. Fundamentalism is marked by a refusal to listen. So hashtag no debate could be the slogan of those on the left or the right. But when that becomes your mantra, hashtag no debate, Then I heard J.K. Rowling say this week, herself no proclaimed prophetess, beware. We are leaning towards fundamentalism. And in the very same week, the Southern Baptist Convention held a meeting in which they decided to officially ban all churches who have made places for women pastors, for female pastors. So they officially banned Rick Warren from the SBC. It happened this week. And so in the same week, I heard Rick Warren say, fundamentalism. Is marked by a refusal to listen. Hashtag no debate is a scary place to be. The church ought to be marked by a deep desire for curiosity and compassion and learning and hearing something new. Is it true of us, church? In what ways? And before you say yes, as a posture, and intellectually speaking, I affirm. Let me tell you what it looked like for Israel. Because in order for Israel to answer that question, they couldn't just answer it abstractly. They had to answer it very concretely. It wasn't about their will or their feelings towards the question. It was about what they did would answer it for them. What you do will answer the question for you. So this is what God called Israel to do, to be a people who listen in order to hear. God said, I want you to consecrate yourself and make yourself holy. Prepare to hear me speak. Which means I'm going to call you to acknowledge and honor very specific boundaries that I'm going to set in place. And if you will honor and these specific boundaries, he literally says in the pas- part of the passage that we didn't read, in the next verses that follow, put limits around the mountain and make yourselves holy. Put limits and make yourselves Holy. Holiness for ancient Israel was tied directly to their willingness or unwillingness to honor boundaries and limits. Whew. Now, I will tell you, as a person who is prone to transgression of all kinds, when you say it like that, it's harder for me to answer the question how willing am I to hear and to listen? Is my life bound, marked by my ability to honor boundaries, to let God set limits around my life? How well do I guard and keep those limits? Because what Exodus 19 is saying is that there is a correlation between your willingness and ability to honor limits and holiness and your ability to hear God speak. Ha! 21st century and we're Americans. Honoring boundaries and setting limits is hard when other people do it for us. So I have a responsibility as a Christian person trying to follow Jesus to ask the question, what boundaries have I perhaps transgressed knowingly or unknowingly in my own life that's making it hard for me to hear the Lord? And can I tell you what I heard him say? Don't tell anybody. It's embarrassing. But because this job would compel me to be as brutally honest with you as I would call you to be with one another, I cuss too much. And I mean, what I love about the Lord is that he was just like, "Uh, you want to be honest about this or more like theoretical and abstract or is this for other people or would you like to hear what I have to say to you? Here's why I cuss too much. I cuss too much in large part, well, mostly just because I'm a sinner. But secondly, in additionally to that, I have a temper. Um, so I'm a sinner. I have a temper. Um, also, I grew up in a culture in which women um, were encouraged all the time to be polite in a very specific kind of way, mostly by the silencing. So politeness for me um, was marked by my silence And um, I was always afraid of being too emotive. And as a person with fire in her bones, um, that's hard. And so um, curse words became my little act of resistance. You know, it's like a finger in the eye. Oh, really? You're offended by my words? (laughs) Nasty, isn't it? It's gross. Real gross. But you take it up. You know, our ability to justify our transgressions, church. We have to just admit with the psalmist that when God says over you, Church, the boundary lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. Freedom for you is not on the other side of the boundaries that I set, but within them. Life for you is not on the other side of the boundaries that I set, but within them. Until we become a people who can believe that to be true of God because he is good, we will not hear him in the way that we are meant to hear him. The reason that Dr. King could look at people and say, you kneel on your knees if you have to keep from hitting them back, but don't you hit them back. Because that's a boundary God has set, not me. Nonviolence is the way forward, not because I think it is, but because Jesus said it is. So you take the instinct that you have and you tie it to the Holy Spirit and you sit on your hands if you have to. The way forward is the way Jesus did it, not the way you think it needs to be done. And to me, you want to be heard? Watch your mouth. Can we hear him? Will we get with him as he leads us into a better tomorrow? That's the question. Do I trust him enough to do it? When Moses said, put limits around the mountain, don't go and touch that. You know what's awesome about that? It wasn't a new word. It was an old word. That's why Moses is a prophet. The old word was spoken back in Genesis 3. When God said to Adam and Eve, you can eat any tree in this garden. All of creation is yours. You can have all of it except this one. Don't eat from this one. And what did we do? Well, why can't I eat from it? It's the one I want. God can't be for me. He must be against me. It makes no sense that I can't eat from this tree. It's a perfectly good tree. And so when God revisited and reconstituted Israel, it was a redemptive moment. It was him saying, are we ready this time to be the people we've been called and created to be? Are you ready this time to be the person God has called and created you to be? Can you hear him say, don't touch this one? Be holy. Consecrate yourself and get ready to hear me say something to you. Can we hear him together? That's the question. There's a world that desperately needs us to be able to hear. May it be so. So ask yourself, where have I transgressed the boundary lines, Lord? I don't know. I cannot answer it for you. If we happen to meet together and you hear me cuss, this is your invitation to say, Pastor. Let's do it together. Holy Spirit, will you help us, Lord? We ask you, Lord, to come. And in your mercy, God, put limits, Lord, around that which, God, you need to limit. Draw lines, Lord, where they need to be drawn. And help us, Jesus, by your grace to honor them, to trust you, to believe for and hope for goodness within these boundaries that you have set for us. And give us, Holy Spirit, the courage of prophets, Lord. The kindness of prophets, Lord, help us to follow you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.